Hello, and welcome back to the CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Molly Rao, with my co-host, Jessica Rickert. Today's podcast features Pernille Ritt. Pernille's work centers around creating a classroom environment based on student needs. Pernille shares how important it is to keep students in the forefront of teaching and how to bring joy into the classroom and slow down to support students' learning. Well, welcome, Pernille. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Would you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So my name is Pernille Rip, and most days you can find me in seventh grade English in Oregon, Wisconsin, right outside of Madison, Wisconsin, or of course at home with my own four kids trying to navigate what it means to be a teacher and a parent during an ongoing global pandemic. Um, If I'm not teaching or with my own kids, I'm usually either reading or writing or speaking or running the Global Read Aloud, which kicked off this week. Um, And so there's always lots to do and lots of crazy busyness. But I would say that I'm easily found and I love usually wherever I'm at. And I just like to try to think about how we can change all the things that we see need to be changed and what we can do within the frameworks that we work within and how we can continually provide students opportunities to reclaim the power that so many of our systems have taken away from them, whether it's within their reading and writing instruction, but also just in like how they get to be in our schools and the systems that we have set up for them there. Awesome. Um, So my first question for you, Pernille, is just thinking about my own time and energy as a teacher. um, What was it that kickstarted for you, like going beyond teaching in your classroom and starting to um, write professional development resources for teachers? Um, And then where do you find the time and energy to do all the great things you do? Because the rest the rest of us need to know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think there's such a thing as finding time. Right. Like, I think I make the time and some days I feel super balanced and on top of the world. And other days I definitely don't. And I will say that the last 19 months now with pandemic teaching, my world has been completely off kilter. I have not blogged as little as I have in all the years since I've been blogging, you know, even tonight I sat outside for maybe 30 minutes drinking a cup of tea and just trying to read a book. And like I, my brain just could not connect with the words that I was seeing on the page. Um, but I'll also say like, I have an incredible support system, right? I have a husband who is super invested in making sure that I have space to process because that's how my writing started. It was a frustration with what I was doing And then recognizing that some of the things that I was doing had been directly passed on to me in traditions, right, Um, from helpful mentors and and college experiences and also just what I had witnessed, um, whatever was the traditions of teaching. And I was just really frustrated with how I had ended up becoming a product of the system that, that didn't work for all kids. And so I spoke a lot about it to my husband and he's super, he's a first year teacher. He's really into education as well, but he was the one that said, you know, you really like writing. Have you thought about writing about it? And so that's how it started. It it started and continues to just be this kind of ongoing dialogue with the world, but also a monologue with myself of going, okay, I saw this and here are my thoughts and here's what I'm going to try. And here's why this doesn't work. 
And so my blog is really just this like random collection of, of experiences from the last 11 years, both in the classroom and also outside of it. And uh, somehow that hit a chord with a lot of people. And um, it was not something that I set out to do. Um, I, you know, it was not this intention of like, man, I, <laughs> I was a second, I was a third year teacher when I started writing. And I did not think that I had the answers for anything. And I still don't uh, have many answers, but I had a lot of questions. And I also had this hope that if I could change some things, maybe I could make the situation in front of me better. And my students were kind enough to share their voices with me and say, yeah, can you go share this with other adults too? Because it would be really nice if more people heard it than you. And so um, I think that's it's just a super organic journey that I've been on and continue to be on, right? Um, the learning never stops. And, uh, and I think especially in the last 19 months, uh, now more than ever, when we've just been told, go figure it out or, you know, here's this new initiative. Can't you just make it work? Uh, I've tried to share all the dumb little things that I have done to try to make it bearable and manageable, but also been very vocal about like, this is not sustainable and it's not okay for us to feel like we're the ones failing here when there's so much more going on than just the decisions within our own classroom. I love that that started as a reflective practice for you, that mm -hmm. you were just kind of reflecting on your work and writing about it. And, you know, I also think it's really neat that it was your husband who was like, mm -hmm. write about it. You know, he recognized <laughs> what you needed when maybe you couldn't. Um, so I think that's that's kind of a neat thing. And I think maybe he was just sick of hearing about it too, right? Like, because it's, it's also like when you're in this vacuum together, and now that we're a two teacher household, we also have to have, like, we've really had to recognize some boundaries of, and being like, because otherwise it's all consuming. And I think he was at the point too, where he was like, this is all consuming for you. How can you get it out, step away, and then feel like you did something productive with all those thoughts. And so he knows me well, he knew that writing would be a good outlet for that. And I think one of the beautiful things about that as starting this journey for yourself as a third year teacher, I don't know, to me, that's like the prime time. You still have lots of energy. You still like you have questions about things. You have all these ideals that you haven't forgotten, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, because I think I don't know about you, but as I go through my own teaching journey, sometimes you lose sight of like that that ultimate goal of who you want to be because like you said those systems they end up changing us and sometimes you look around suddenly and you're like I don't want to be part of these systems anymore and you said like you said they're part of traditions and they get passed down and I think we all slowly over time you know become complicit complicit in some practices that we probably don't love Absolutely. Um, and I think they, I think the system is set up to do that. I think it's mm -hmm. meant to wear us down the way that we are spoon fit this, uh, you know, statement of like, well, do it for the kids. And the minute you raise your voice, well, then you're not in it for the right reasons. Like what an incredibly toxic way of thinking. Like the reason I raise my voice is for the kids, but it's also to create a profession that is sustainable for people because it does not work if we're, if we are self-sacrificing our health, our families, our everything, our finances, just to fix a system that isn't working for kids. And then in reverse being told, well, you must not have done enough. You know, when we look at burnout, it's like, there's so many reasons, but of course it's also like the burden that 
educational staff and the system is supposed to to carry is is just too much. And so I think it's also I think you're right with that like I love being around new teachers because they're so hopeful. And then I I look at myself and I'm like, man, when did I become the jaded old teacher, right? Like, when did I become that teacher that was like, oh, here we go. Another new idea, you know, like that voice in the staff meeting. Um, But I get it now and I get why people end up there. And so I think it's important to continue the dialogue with students too, because the students haven't been in our grade before. And so while I might be a eight-year veteran of seventh grade by now, this is my students one and only time in seventh grade and they have hope and they want to change, change things. And so that's why I think it's so important for me to have those conversations with kids as well. Okay. So thinking of like going from that blogging piece to your first book and, and just to give you a little bit of heads up. So, you know, I like to pull some of my colleagues and friends in education before I do these interviews. And I would say I, there were, there were two kinds of teachers. They either knew who you were and they were like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. She's great. Or they had no idea who you were. And so for the, you know, I think on a literacy podcast, most of our listeners probably know who you are, but on the off chance that there's some who don't know much about you, I think like, I want, I want you to go back to early as a professional writer. How did you go from the blog mm-hmm. to a book? And then kind of quick summary of what your first book was about mm-hmm. so that our listeners can maybe go, ooh, maybe I need to pick that up. Or... <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. No, how did that? So I was brave. I saw a tweet. So I've been blogging for a couple of years. And people were responding, which was crazy, right? Like even the first blog post that I wrote, somebody responded and it wasn't my mom, you know, because moms will always like show up and dads. And it was like some stranger who had like left a comment and it was so crazy to me. And it continues to be to this day. And so after a couple of years, I was like, oh, hey, this is kind of cool. And I saw a tweet and it was from this small press and they were like, hey, we're looking for new education writers. And I was like, now, wouldn't that be something like, wouldn't that be a cool challenge to like take all of this that I've been putting out in the world and like try to not make it a system. Like I didn't want to make a how to, how to teach like Bernil kind of book, but just to be like, Hey, here's my journey. And here are the ideas. And man, has that made a difference in my space at the time as a fourth and fifth grade teacher. And so I sent the idea and they were like, yeah, yeah, we think there's something here. And so I wrote the first version of Passionate Learners for them. And then, um, you know, there were some things that didn't work out the way they did. And but they were they were kind enough to connect me with Routledge and to sell the book rights to them. And so Routledge came in and they were like, this is awesome. Let's repackage this. But do you want to update it? And by then I had moved to middle school. So I was like, yeah, because I looked at that book through that written by that elementary version of Perniel that was all about like, Let's break the system and like, how do we give control back to students and how do I question grading and homework and like just constantly look at all the structures and the boxes that we place kids in and try to break those within a very conscripted system. You know, how do you work within a school that tells you you have to do letter grades, but you don't want to right? like, what do you do then? How can you still center the kids and still kind of play by some of the rules And so I read that book now as a middle school teacher and I was like, oh, wait, here's the middle school extension of this work, right? Now that I'm only responsible for 45 minutes of English times five, that 
that wall breaking has to look totally different because it just wasn't such a different world. And so it was a really fantastic, great way to go back and revisit like what Pernille had written a couple of years earlier or what I had written a couple of years earlier and go, okay, now how does this get adapted and modified? And so that was the second, second edition of Passionate Learners, which sounds like really fancy, but it was really just because it was a purchase uh, of that book. And so that book is really like, I don't know, my hopes and dreams for any classroom teachers of how do we give the control back to kids? How do we create opportunities for them to shape the learning, decide the learning, assess themselves? And how do we put a microphone in front of their faces to say, what's not working for you? Do you feel respected? Um, you know, why not? And, and what, would, what would you like to do to facilitate change and be open to that and then be able to help them create this change? And so that's where it all started. And then once that book came out, then all of a sudden it was, you know, just like these really serendipitous uh, connections with other people that were like, hey, we're, you know, could you want to write about, you know, you kind of talked about this in Passionate Learners. Do you want to come over to Corwin and talk more about like, how can principals empower their teachers? Like, what do you what do you wish principals knew in administration, which was a really interesting book to, to write because it was like, I, I was not in a great principal situation at the time. So it was kind of like, what do I wish uh, were my ideal situation? But it was also looking at, okay, what, what am I doing in my, in, with my students to break down some of the hierarchy of power and how we share power? And how could that re be replicated within a district? And the same thing, then the global collaboration book um, happened. And then Routledge came, Routledge came back and they were like, I was actually, I think I was under contract to write a book about student blogging um, because I was super into student blogging. And as I started writing it, I was like, this is not, I was like, why am I writing this book? Like, I don't think like, this is like a chapter or like a PDF. And so I spoke to Donalyn Miller, who I know so many people know and is a, is a, a, a very dear friend of mine. I said, I have this idea for a writing or a reading book. And I was like, but I don't, I don't think, you know, like, who am I to write a reading book? And she was like, no, we need as many people out there writing these books to say, look, Donna Lynn can do it in Texas with, with her age groups and Penny can do it up, you know, up, up in her, in her age groups. And then this random, random teacher in Wisconsin can do it with her kids. And so it was the boost I needed to kind of go, okay, I have, I have a few ideas. And also to pay homage to the people who had come before me and said, I picked up their ideas and here's what it looks like teaching day to day in 45 minutes of ELA. And so that was Passionate Readers. And so for me, I think if I look at all four books that I've written, and I'm currently writing a fifth one, um, what keeps coming back to me is how do we center the child and how do we make their voices heard and how do we recognize that when a child shows up in our classroom, it's not just their academics that show up, it's their whole experience, it's the whole child. And if we don't make space for the emotions that they carry um, with them when it comes to reading, writing, or anything in school, and I don't just mean in a recognition like, oh, I see that you're having a hard day, but really dive into, into, into these emotions with kids then they're going to have a much harder time actually making some real connections to the journey that they're on. And so that continues to be at the heart of my work and continues to be at the heart of my writing. So my, my hope for any of the books is really that any teacher at any grade level can pick it up and go, 
oh, I'm going to try this. Like, I'm going to take these ideas and I'm going to make them work within my system. But here's why she changed. And maybe I can't do everything she wants. She did, but I can do some of that. And I think the biggest gift has just been when educators have come up and said, you, you gave me the courage to go and try some of these things because I write about the fear, you know, that came with making some of these changes. And also just like that one idea that you gave, man, it just made the biggest difference. Like what an, what an, a crazy honor that is. So yeah, the writing was not something I ever thought would be um, a part of my life. And now I can't imagine it not being a part of my life. That's usually how it goes, right? Definitely. Well, and that's, that's how I process too. So to me, that just makes sense. Um, although I haven't blogged about it in a long time, but early on, like you, I used to blog about it. That's awesome. Um, so trying to think of how you worded it, you said it was, it was really great wording. Um, you had said something about, you know, even just that they read things and they might not be able to use all the things that you put in your book, but they might take just one thing. And that really made me think about um, kind of honoring the, you know, and you've talked a lot about different spaces and places like Donalyn's space and place. And um, you mentioned Penny. Penny. Yeah. I was going to say, was it Penny? Okay. You mentioned Penny and like the space and place that, she teaches in and so thinking of that you know I I, re, I just really appreciated that because I don't know over the years I've felt that teaching is incredibly personal right mm-hmm. so like you know I have I have my way of being and it's not going to be your way of being and so sometimes the things that work for me in honoring kids might mm-hmm. look a little different mm-hmm. in than how you might honor kids and, you know, I love that you're a seventh grade teacher because that was my previous life. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I miss my seventh graders. Mm-hmm. Such an incredible age to be a part of. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's also it. Like I think about so I now teach in a glorious 86 minute block. So I only have three seventh grade classes, how vastly different they are. And even within my own system of doing things, it looks very different depending on the kids in front of me. And I while I love that there are books and systems out there that are like day one, day two, you know, do this. Cause I think it's such an incredible resource, especially when you're just starting out and you're trying to figure out your own systems. But like, I really wanted to put a book out there that was like, you don't have to do this day by day. You can use this at different parts of the year. You can use this when it fits for this one class or, or just here's a question you can ask yourself when you're having one of those days and things are not working because that's, what's been helpful for me. Right. It's been more of those books that said, I see you and here's some things that you can do to make you better. And in turn, your classroom is going to hopefully feel a change as well. And so that has always been my goal, never to write the 10 step version, you know, just to be like, try this, reflect on this, ask this, do this. Here's a sheet. Here's an idea. Here's a lesson. Uh, And those are my favorite PD books as well. The journeys that I get to go on Um, because otherwise I forget. You know, I, I can't sit with a book in my lap and read another person's step-by-step instructions when I'm there with the students. And so for me, it, it's important that there needs to be some sort of osmosis into my own system. 
Well, and that brings me back to something you said earlier that I really appreciated too, because you talked about how you see how that those systems kind of make us jaded over time. And, you know, a little bit of that idea of having some empathy for how teachers get to those spaces and going, okay, I love that you said, you know, here's a question you can ask yourself. And, you know, I think that's something even in the world we live in today, I've, I've seen some of my colleagues that were, you know, at one point in time, like people I really admired and loved dearly. I've seen them kind of go down what I might consider a little bit of a dark path where maybe they've lost touch with who they are and what they believe as a teacher. And so I like, I like that question framing too, because sometimes those questions can be questions that you ask your dear friends too, to help Mm -hmm. them reflect on where they're at. And it's that, that comes from a space of, I think a lot of empathy for just how hard it can be to continue this profession and stay true to that core of wanting to do our best for kids and wanting to honor them and keeping them centered. Um, So given that, you know, that's something that you speak to that resonates with me personally, could you give an example of a question that you ask yourself sometimes or that you recommend teachers might ask themselves when maybe they're making choices that aren't student-centered or aren't, yeah, centered around that experience? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's one question that I've used for years, and that's just, would I want to be a student in my own classroom, right? Like, would Perniel, the 12-year-old version of Perniel, as much as I can remember, would would I have thrived in this environment that I've created alongside my seventh graders? Um, but also, like, thinking as a parent, right, I have four kids of myself, and would they be able to thrive within our environment? And kind of keeping that as a gut check, because there's always going to be days where I'm like, "Mm, no, today was probably really boring. Right. And so then knowing that when I'm planning some more boring lessons, because sometimes they are just going to be boring. Right. Like it's not always going to be a production. Then thinking about like, what's my attitude in delivering these lessons as far as like, how am I joking around? How am I giving them a chance to get up and move around? And, you know, how else can we provide joy? And so that's my other question, especially right now is how much, how much joy are we having? Are we getting a chance to just sit and laugh together? Um, You know, it cannot, like I was, I was on Twitter the other night and Julie G, who's just a a fabulous educator that I admire so much. You know, she had said, I'm going to paraphrase it awfully, but she had said something like, you know, constantly asking kids to solve the world's problems is exhausting for them and also like not healthy. And I think about that, especially like within English, right, where we have so much like, let's burn down the system and like, let's let's really dig into all these deep, dark issues. And how are we going to change the world, which is like super amazing. And I have some kids who are like, yes, let's, you know, and they want to go out and they want to do all the things. But right now, too, I think like we all just need some more joy. And that's not in any way pretending that the world isn't burning literally around us, but it's just going like how can we refill our energy reserves so that we can go out and fight the rules and fight the system and continue all of the conversations that we're having that need to be have about the inequities and all of the systemic um, just obstacles that we have in place for so many people in our country. And so for me, one of the questions too is just like, how am I bringing joy in? Um, How are we co-creating joy? And not like in an artificial way, but just like, you know, today one of my 
fantastic kids just loves playing computer games on his Chromebook the entire time that I'm teaching. And so we just made it a game of like, how quickly could I shut him down? And he was laughing about it. And I was like, I was laughing about it too, because it was like the perseverance that was being put into trying to get the game loaded before I noticed it was really impressive. Like that kid is going to go places, right? And I think it was important for me in that moment to go like, this is funny. This is, this is not this kid like trying to like be super rude or anything like that. Like he's being a kid who has an opportunity to do the snake game or whatever they have unblock on whatever. And, uh, and that was what he needed to regulate himself. And so, yeah, I think, I think right now, I think it's really important that we all come back to joy a little bit, but also that idea of like, you know, would you want to be a student in your own classroom? And if you're not sure, go ask the kids. That's always what I, when I go out and teach people, I'm like, what questions are you asking kids? Well, how would they describe your class? And sometimes people get really defensive. And I get that because it's really hard to be told that maybe your class is not the favorite class, or maybe they don't really like you that much, or maybe that lesson plan that you have worked so hard on and that you were so excited about is not what they're excited about. And I've had to really teach myself, and I wish I was better at it, but I pretend that I'm really thick-skinned. And I pretend in the face of my students that I'm really thick-skinned. And so I always tell them, like, you got to tell me. If you don't feel safe, I hope you're able to tell me. Or if you don't feel respected for me, I will give you opportunities to tell me. But at any point, also let me know. But also, if you're like, this is so boring, can we plan something better together? Because you also have to recognize that these are my best ideas. And so if something is really terrible, let's talk about it. And then I would love your input. And I think that that has helped me stay more grounded. And it, I think for a lot of teachers who maybe are feeling really burned out right now, maybe having some of those conversations with kids of like, how can we make this better? What would make a difference? Like even my students today, I put on the board, they're, they're kind of in different places because they're working through some things. And it was like, you know, get all your old work done and then, hey, finish this new project up. And the third one was like, when you're done, you can nap or you can read or you can work on other classes. And the kids were like, we can nap, Mrs. Rip. I was like, yeah, you can nap. And they were like, oh my gosh, I really want to nap. And so again, that came from the kids too, right? And so I just think that if we're feeling this burnout, if we're feeling this frazzled, if we're feeling the scatterbrain that we can't even read books and how are the kids feeling and not because that their emotional state takes precedent over ours. It, there needs to be some sort of like, you know, balance there, but like if we're feeling this way, then how are the kids in our, in our care feeling? And so I feel like there's this opportunity to have a lot of conversations. That was a really long winded answer. I apologize. No, that was a glorious answer <laughs> and it deserved every second that it got. <laughs> Um, well, and that made me think, so, you know, I'm new at my school. And so being new, you know, you're feeling this inordinate amount of pressure to like impress the boss and like, you know, going from middle school to high school. I also felt this pressure for a high school level of rigor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the reality was I realized my kids aren't there yet. You know, it's a very mm -hmm. different population than where I was before. Um, they have a lot of spaces where I need to build some skills that they don't have that 
you know, I took for granted they might have as high school students. Um, and so I've, I had to take a step back and go, you're pushing these guys too much. And yes, mm-hmm. you want to get there. And I'm still going to get, you know, do my darndest to get them there. And I've already seen them grow exponentially because kids are amazing and resilient and they can do fantastic things. But I also, you know, in, in that push, I was making my classroom, like you said, it was not a place where kids wanted right. to be. And really it wasn't right. a place where I wanted to be. Right. And, you know, had this realization of that because, you know, again, I like to be reflective and ask myself, myself those questions. And this was very impulsive. I'm a very impulsive person. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked, I started adding like a silly little question at the beginning of the day, in addition to whatever, you know, warm up sort of thinking task they had going on. And the other day I had put on there, can you do a cartwheel? And, you know, we go around the room and some of them are like, maybe, I don't know. I haven't tried in (laughs) years. And some of them are like, I don't think so. And so impulsively I was like, all right, in the middle of class today, we're going out and we're finding out if we can do cartwheels. All of us. I said, I don't know either. I haven't tried in a while. I might pull a muscle and you guys can laugh at me. <laughs> and so we literally like, you know, they were digging into a text, um, you know, working really hard. And so we took a break from that. We all piled outside. There were a bunch of people in the courtyard. So they were like, oh, we can't do this here. People will see us. So we found a little spot out of the way. They could have a little privacy. And we just like started doing cartwheels and pretty soon they're cheering each other on like try it you can do it (laughs) and they're like pausing and like teaching somebody how to do a cartwheel and there was just this amazing bond building between Mm -hmm. the class and you know I didn't plan that but oh we needed it so much and it was this huge aha for me like I need to do some silly things with my kids more like my freshmen, yeah. by the end of the day, they're so fried. Yeah. They, they're, yeah. they're not they're you know, and I was getting really frustrated with them because they're just not able to be students. You know, they've got these block, like our classes are like an hour and a half long. Right. And so, you know, those 90 minute classes, that's a lot for some of those kids. And so by the time they get to their fourth hour and a half class, yeah, they've got nothing left and yeah. just going out and doing something silly or like the other day our break we didn't even go outside because we just needed something really quick we do could do they had a little arm wrestle battle you know not everybody had to do it but if they wanted to they could and we had brackets and you know we found our classroom arm wrestling champ champion and you know just some of that physicality too I think they needed so much and so I was really grateful that I just had a crazy impulse to honor all the other parts of their being, or at least, you know, the being silly and being a kid piece because man, they've been able to come back and still dig into texts and, you know, and probably do better than if I'd said, no, we need every minute of this time. Like, and I've had to remind myself that to like, slow down because we're getting this artificial press, right. Of like learning loss and get them caught up and like, who are we behind? First of all, like who is this fictitious person that we're all running after? So I'd like to have a conversation with them, but it's also just like slow down and have the conversation, you know, and, and, and do the small group challenges and do the physicality. And it's okay that work time today was only 15 minutes because we were switching between things. We'll come back to it tomorrow. And so I, I keep laying these grand plans for how quickly we're going to get through units. But what I keep, marveling over 
at the, at the slower pace that we're going is so many more kids are finding success. So many more kids are starting to, to like open up to each other. So many more kids are laughing. I have this rule in my classroom. You can't say shut up. I just find it really disrespectful. And they know like when I say it, they're like, I say language and they know. And now like they're all saying it to each other, right? Like language, Mrs. Rip, Mrs. Rip says language. And I just like, it's those little things that become the spoken language of our community, right? That weaves us together. And I think that, you know, not now more than ever, but now more than ever, we need to recognize that. And I think now more than ever, we also have the ability to say, no, like, no, I'm going to put up a barrier to my classroom and I'm going to trust my instinct and I'm going to try to tap into these kids in front of me and try to build community because that's what you told me to do. And I'm going to continue to do that all year so that we can take academic risks so that we can read together. Right. I don't think I've handed out so many snacks in my life and then had to like put kids into separate spaces. So they're six feet and hand sanitizer. But I'm like, if it takes me going to Aldi buying more granola bars or going down my principal and being like, I need snack because I'd really like not to fund it myself, you know, so that these kids can learn and like have a moment, then I'm going to buy the granola bars. Right. Like, and again, I'd prefer not to buy myself because I think we do that enough, but I think what you speak to there, cartwheels or arm wrestling, like, yeah, like, how are we keeping them in a space to learn to also where they feel safe? I mean, think about how many kids didn't speak last year if they were virtual and they learned that to be in the shadows was a perfectly fine place to be. And now we're asking them to come right back out in the sunlight, you know? And so like, how are we handling that with kids in a true way and not in this artificially constructed, well, we're in school, so you better just do what I tell you to do kind of way. So if it takes granola bars or cartwheels or whatever it is, then that's what it's going to take. Right. And, and yeah, yeah, this, I agree. The snacks help tons too. I have definitely gotten more snacks than I ever have before. (laughs) And you talked about that, like hiding in the shadows when they were remote. And I've seen that with my students. They don't know how to talk to each other anymore. Um, It is, that much harder to get them to feel brave enough to put an idea out into the universe. Mm -hmm. And that was, as we were doing cartwheels, it evolved into this like be bold challenge, like be bold, just try it. Like, you know, we're going to cheer you on whether it's the worst cartwheel we've ever seen or we're completely amazed. And we did like, they started cheering each other on. They started encouraging each other to try. And that I think has gone back into our academic moments Mm -hmm. where, Um, you know, a kid and I'm like my favorite response when a kid shares an answer. And even as I, you know, maybe clarify misconceptions, you know, I'm always like, oh, I love the bravery of that answer. Mm -hmm. Like, I love to tell them they're brave when they answer things and they share ideas. Um, And so, you know, that's part of my language that I hope passes on to my students. But that that cartwheel, the culture of the cheering each other on. I think that has come back into the academic space since last Friday when I did that. Um, Well, we've had a ton of your time already. (laughs) And so, and and poor Jessica, I dominated this conversation. Hi, Jessica. (laughs) You guys are good. You're talking secondary. It's all good. (laughs) Um, 
So Perniel, I know you said that as you're writing your books, you're thinking about things you've learned from other places. Is there, do you have an educational hero or a mentor, somebody you've learned from that, you know, you kind of keep with you? So, you know, who's your hero? Who's my hero? I mean, I could, I could give you a list of incredible adults that are still doing the work, but honestly, it's the kids. Like it keeps coming back to the kids the kids that find their voice, the kids that speak up against me, the kids that on my survey, you know, have the bravery to tell me that, no, what I'm doing does not work or that they don't feel respected by me. Like they are always going to be my educational heroes. The kids who I know what's going on outside of school because they have, they have confided in me and yet they still show up and they try or even the kids where life is amazing and they come in and they like want to be there and they want to connect and they're trying to reach out to you in all of their amazing ways. You know, that to me, like, that's the bravery. Those are the kids that I'm, the, those are the people that I look up to because like, if I can be smart enough and be good enough to be deserving of being in the, in the presence of my seventh graders, then it's been a good day. And I feel that way with my own kids too. Like, I look at some of the ways that my kids who are also vastly different, look at the world and I'm just in awe. And I just like, want to get closer to that. Right. Like I want to get out of this jaded adult shell where we listen too much to the news and, and we're dominated by this doom and gloom and go out and say, well, why not? And why not me? No, why not change? And who can I bring along on this journey? And who's already on this journey that I can learn from? So I would say the kids, you know, when in doubt, go ask some questions. We have the best, like I say this all the time, we have the best professional development sitting right in our classroom. And so we need to tap into that. I love that. Number one resource. Our students. <laughs> That's the best takeaway. And I did enjoy listening too. I just love hearing educators talk and you guys both in the classroom talking about kids. And it's an interesting take on how COVID has affected kids. but. I love how you talked about bringing that joy back in and mm -hmm. both of your experiences and examples of having a little bit of fun. Cause I do think we get mired down on, we've got to do this and this and this, and definitely getting out of the adult world and getting into the kid world is so much better for everyone. We all need to turn mm -hmm. off the news and talk to kids more. So I love mm -hmm. that aspect of it too. And so make sure for all of our listeners that you go to sign up right now at ccira.org because Pernille will be presenting at our 2022 conference and you can even get more insights and wisdom too. So thanks so much <laughs> for joining us tonight, Pernille. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to ccira.org. On ccira.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. 
or you can find us on Facebook where we also have a members only group that we're trying to build and our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you and again if you're looking for new content please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.